All right. That being said, um, we are going through I Love Sundays. And uh, as Landon's been teaching through the first week, we learned about how Sundays can be the best day of the week. And, and Sundays, when you gather with your brothers and sisters, it really can be the best day of the week. Two weeks ago, we talked about honoring the Sabbath, honoring um, the day that God has commanded us to set aside and preparing for it and, and trying to... Um, really make that a priority in our lives. Last week, Landon talked to, us about, talked to us about how Sundays can help us build our families, and it can help us pour into our families. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about how Sundays can change your eternity. So, um, I do have a little scripture. I want You don't need to turn there. I'll, I'll read it quick. Um, Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 13. If you turn away from your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken." Now, we've talked the last few weeks about making the Sabbath, how the Sabbath can, can be a delight, how the Sabbath can be making the Lord our delight. Um, this morning, I want to focus in just that, on that last little bit and feed with the heritage of Jacob, your father. So kind of tuck that away in, in the back of your mind. Um, with that much of an introduction, why don't we pray and get into the word this morning? Dear Jesus, we come before you um, humbly and just excitedly and expectantly, and we, as we break open your word, um, desire you to meet with us here, desire your spirit to fill our hearts. I pray that whatever has been going on this week, whatever um, trials and tribulations, whatever seeks to reach out and distract us this morning, that those things would be shelved and set aside, that we can just sit before you and and hear your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that you've prepared for us this morning. Um, amen. Um, so, the last three weeks as, as we've been talking about I Love Sundays, we've, we've learned how Sundays can, can help us to rest and to refuel and, and refocus. Those are the three R's. Um, To start this morning, I'm just going to, if you got your Bible, don't need to, just grab your Bible and hold it in your hand, because I want to talk about this book for just a moment before we get started. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think back and I wonder, have I ever really seen a miracle? Have I ever really seen God do something so outrageous that there's just no doubt that it was God? Um, this book, this is a miracle. I and I like and I'm in all sincerity, this this holy Bible that we have in our hands, this book, it's a miracle. We shouldn't have it. There's no other explanation as to how this book was formed. It's sixty-six different books all in one binding, written by over forty different authors. Um it was started 
the first books were penned about 3,500 years ago. It took over 1,500 years for this book to be finished. That's not humanly possible. I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone that's that old. Um, that's, it's, it's not humanly possible. Um, this book, the, just the different, it's written in three different languages. The Bible was originally written in three different languages. Um, just, the, just take the four Gospels for, for a second. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just think about the authors for a second. Matthew, he was a tax collector. He was a government worker. Um, Mark, he was a missionary. Luke was a doctor. And John was a fisherman. Just think about the, the difference in growing up, the educational difference, the, how, how you would grow up in those different backgrounds. And you take those four guys with just radically different backgrounds, and yet they wrote the four Gospels that basically tell one story about one man, that's Jesus. And they all agree and they all harmonize, not just with each other, but with this entire book. I mean, Genesis to Revelation, it flows and it's all one it's all one story from God, so I don't know. That, that's my side note of encouragement for you guys this morning. The next time you're wondering, about, have I ever seen a miracle? Just think about the Bible for a second because there's no logical explanation how we can have this book. Um, and there's so much more I could go into. I could do a whole Sunday morning study on how the Bible is just awesomely amazing and impossible. So, that being said... Um, in order for us to talk about how Sundays can affect our eternity, I'm going to have to cover the whole book. I'm thinking you guys probably are not really too keen on sitting here and listening to me actually just start in Genesis chapter 1 and read straight through to Revelation. That would probably be totally awesome, but I think Landon would get back this afternoon and we'd be maybe in Exodus and he'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so that's not practical, but we're going to go through the whole Bible this morning nonetheless. So um, buckle up and get ready to get ready to roll because we're going through this whole book. Starting Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You guys know this story. And I, you know, as, I, as I'm going through and I'm going to talk this morning about we're going to be going through the whole Bible about how Sundays can affect our eternity. We've got to go through the story that's told in the Bible. God created everything, including Adam and Eve. Everything, that, the air, the plants, everything. You guys know this. I, I don't need to belabor that point. But I want you guys to pause and think about this just for a second. God created Adam and Eve, our great-great-grandparents. When he created them, they are, they are our great-great-grandparents, but before they were our great-great-grandparents, they were part of the family that God had created. God created the heavens and the earth. God created Adam and Eve, and they were a part of his family. God used to walk with them in the cool of the day. We read that in Genesis. They were naked and unashamed. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I don't walk around in my underwear at church. When I'm at home, sometimes I do. That's family. 
I mean, let's be real here. That's family. Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. They walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. This was their family. And God had given them everything. He'd given them the garden and said, you guys can have everything. Just that one tree in the middle. Don't go eat that fruit. Well, you guys know the story. Adam and Eve, what did they do? Do do do. Let's go get that fruit. In fact, um, why don't you turn there? Let's open up to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. We're going to start in verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, right in the beginning, should be very easy to find. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they, were, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his, his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We know this story, but right, we're only in chapter, chapter 3 of the Bible, and already we get the big drama. Because the Bible tells a story. And this is, this is the big moment. Um, and this, this moment affects all of us. Because what Adam and Eve did brought sin into the world. It brought sin into themselves. Things were never going to be the same after that. Um, they were a family with God. You know, we've, we've talked about that. But what did they do? They sinned. And what did the sin do? It caused them to hide from God. Now, we're here this morning because we want to seek God. And that's an awesome thing. Adam and Eve, they did something that caused them to want to hide from God. It caused separation and it caused division. It caused the, the family to be broken. Um, and I don't think I need to spend too much time on it, but just think about your own families for a moment. Think about families that you know, because I think the reality here is in our own families, we've all got stories where we know the family was ripped apart or we know of a family that was ripped apart. Maybe it was divorce. Maybe it was a son or a daughter choosing a sinful lifestyle that just ripped the family apart and caused division. Um, maybe it was somebody in the family that died and all of their stuff became a point of contention and a family was ripped apart because of the stuff. Um, the reality is we know broken families. We know the deep pain of, of having your family ripped apart. This was Adam and Eve and God. They did something that ripped them away. And we're part of Adam and Eve's family. They're our great-great-grandparents. And 
there's been this great divide between us and God ever since. Um, so this part of Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve ate the fruit, this is important. This is important stuff for us to know because this is our history. This explains why it's so hard for us, why, why our families get broken, why our families get ripped apart. You know, all those painful things that happen for us, you can point to sin. It's going to be the root cause of all of the pain and all of the things that, that just tear us down and, and destroy us. And just, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good thing. And sin entered in and it, it weaved its way in. It's in me. It's in you. And, uh, you know, I don't need to do a show of hands who's all sinners because we all know. We all blew it. We're all a bunch of worthless wretches just filled with sin because of what happened. But, remember this miracle book? We're only in chapter 3, guys. God's got so many more chapters to do something awesome. So, hang on. Don't sit here in, 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 the, in the sadness of sin. We're going to keep moving. Um, Sin came in and sin ripped, ripped man apart and God started to do something. First, he let us walk around on our own for a bit. We don't know exactly how long, but God let us walk around on our own for a bit. And, you know, we, we get the, the stories from the, the early portions of the Bible, um, the early history of mankind. We see Cain slew, slew his brother Abel. Um, we read, you know, a little bit more here and there. And ultimately, we know that mankind got so wicked, so evil, so sin had grown so much that God looked down and God said, this cannot go on. I got to wipe the slate clean. And he picked Noah and his family and had Noah. He, he blessed Noah with the ability to spend 100 years building a boat. Yay! He spent a hundred years building that big ark. But you know what? It paid off. Because when he built the ark, he went in, God brought the animals, God closed up the door, God ripped the fountains of the deep open and started the heavens raining, and the earth was flooded. And God wiped the slate clean. Noah and his family found grace in the eyes of God, and they survived. God's not done with mankind. He loves us more than we will ever know. Even though man had gotten so wicked, he needed to destroy the earth. God loves man so much, he found Noah. And he saved Noah. Well, again, Noah's our great-great-great-grandpa. Our because there's no other line you could possibly come from. <clears throat> so what did we do? God's letting us wander around for a bit on our own. We get off the boat. God says, all right, now fill the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. What do we do? We congregate into one little spot and we start building a tower, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, how high you think she's going to go? Whoa, there's the Sears Tower. We can do more. I don't know exactly what the point was to the tower. I've read different commentaries, different theories. The, basically, to sum it up, they were up to no good. Uh, they were just rebelling against God yet again. And God looked down and God said, this isn't good. And so he confused the languages. He 
gave us different languages. And you know what? If I'm speaking English and you guys were all speaking a different language, I'm not the one that you guys want to listen to. I would not be the guy up here if you guys all spoke German. I would not be the guy that you wanted to listen to if I was speaking English. It's just naturally the way it is. So what did it do? It caused people to obey God the hard way. And they wound up spreading out and filling the earth. And now we've got, I don't even know how many languages. There are still a few unreached people groups. So if you guys remember, be praying for them because they've got languages of their own that are out there that they don't have this amazing book yet. And there are organizations that are working feverishly hard to reach them and get in and make contact and learn their languages so that they can give them this amazing book. Um, I always want to give that a plug when I get the chance. So here's our story. We're, we're going through God let us wander about for a bit and we prove that we can be no good. We prove that sin was reigning in us. Um, now, you don't need to turn there again. Genesis chapter 12 I'm going to just read the first couple of verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God started to do something different. In Genesis chapter 12, he picked one man, Abraham. He picked one man who was following God. And God promised to bless all the families of the earth through this one man. All of our broken families, all of us, were going to be blessed by this one man. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 strapping sons. And that kind of takes us to the Exodus. The 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, they went to Egypt. There was Joseph and there was a famine. So they went for the bread. They came to Egypt and Egypt saw all of these Hebrews and they're like, whoa, all these Hebrew guys. We don't like Hebrews. And so they enslaved the Hebrew people. They enslaved Jacob's 12 sons, their tribes. And they grew into a mighty nation. In the middle of Egypt, in the middle of slavery, in the middle of bondage, God multiplied them into this mighty nation. But they were, they were nothing. They were slaves. God brought Moses. Moses who grew up in, in the house of Egypt. In, in Pharaoh's house. He was an Egyptian Jewish person. And he thought, you know what? Moses was going to do it on his own. I'm going to free these people. He killed a man. Pharaoh found out and he bolted because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't part of God's plan just yet. He was built up out in the wilderness. Moses came back. You guys know the story. Moses goes into Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Moses is thinking, God's going to do something awesome. Pharaoh's going to let the people go. Pharaoh says, no. I think that probably took Moses aback. There's plagues. The, the plagues come upon Egypt. And every time Moses goes in, he says, let my people go or else. And bad start, stuff starts happening to this whole 
powerful, mighty nation of Egypt until finally God sends the angel who has to pass over the houses of the Egyptians and kills the firstborn male of every house. And it brings them to breaking point and they're freed. They go, they, then they get to the Red Sea. They got to cross over the Red Sea because Pharaoh changes his mind and he's coming after them. And God's people are now set free. God has done something amazing. He's got a people group that he's put together because we proved that we can't do it on our own. We proved on our own that what do we get? A big flood. Then what do we do? We build a big tower. And we need the languages confused. God's doing something different now. Um, now if you want to open with me to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read something also that is just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. In Exodus chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 1. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the inequity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your, is your neighbor's. Why did I make you turn that and read the Ten Commandments? This isn't Sunday school. I am the children's pastor, though. <laughs> this is important stuff, guys. These are the Ten Commandments. This is Mount Sinai. God leads the people to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up. The thunder rumbles. The clouds come down. And the people are scared because they see, whoa, God is on the mountain. God delivers to the people the law. This is something radically different. For, for so long, God let us wander about on our own, and we just, we blew it. We blew it. We blew it. Sin reigned in us. And finally, God, God's giving us a new chance. God opens up something different at Mount Sinai, and God says, you can have the law. I will tell you, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. There's a song about that somewhere. 
It's an old Bob Dylan reference. <laughs> um, so God delivers them the law. They now have directions on how to live. Guess what God does? He lets them wander around a bit with the law to see, you know, what's, what's going to happen. How are the people going to live now that they know how to live? I mean, we blew it in the garden. We, we disobeyed God. There was separation. God let us wander around on our bit to see how we would do. Pfft, terrible. Sin reigns in us, and it is this giant millstone around our this giant stone that's just tied around our neck, and it just drowns us. We can't get away from it. We can't rise above it. We are stuck in the mire. Now God has given us the law. He's shown us. He's given directions uh, to us on how to live. Well, I'm sorry to have to say, as he let us wander around a bit for, with just the law, we really didn't do very well. They wandered in the way. In fact, when Moses comes down from the mountain, what are the people doing? They're having this huge debaucherous party. So, we did not do very well. In fact, the, the, to sum it all up, um, Judges chapter 2, I think, says it pretty well. Um, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord their God of the fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods among, from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. That's sin. Sin has a power over us that we cannot control. Even with the law, even with the directions of what we're supposed to do, God gave us the path and he said, this is the law, go this way. What do we do? I'm going to go my own way. We start trompsing through the woods. There's a paved highway that God set before us and sin just... I don't know. It, it overpowers us. It is more than we can bear. So the people went on in that state for a while, and then they get to a point, and they reject God yet again. They've been following their own ways. God is raising up judges. They get to a point where they're so beaten down because they've, They've rejected God so badly that he brings someone in to oppress them. God will raise up judges, and the judges will come in. You know, Samson was a judge. He had the long, luscious locks of hair, and he would come in and just beat up on the Philistines, and the Philistines would run away. But eventually the judge would die, and the people would turn away from God and back to their false idols, and they would begin living in sin and wickedness. Um, they get to a point where they say, we don't want to live like this anymore. We want a king. It sounds okay. They want a king. All the other countries have kings. What they were really saying, we don't want God to be our king over us anymore. So the people rejected God yet again and made a man king over them. They picked Saul. Saul was an, uh, just a disaster. Um... God's not done with us. God still loves us. Even though 
even though we rejected God yet again and chose a king over us, God's not done, done with us. Um, God gives us David, a man after God's own heart. Here we go. This is going to be it, right? We've got the law. We've got a man after God's own heart. Put it together and off we go. Sorry. Sin is sin and sin is in all of us. And even King David had sin. We know the story, David and Bathsheba. David sinned. Now he repented and, and found forgiveness in the eyes of God. That's an awesome thing. Um, this is our history. In fact, the descendants after David, the kingdom, as it were, there's another broken family story. The 12 tribes of Jacob, all united under King David, all united under King Solomon. Along comes another king and, man, there's a family squabble. And the northern 10 tribes become Israel and Judah to the south becomes their own nation. Two different nations now because there was a rip in the, in the family. Well, the northern ten tribes, they didn't have one good king. They just, just wickedness, wickedness, wickedness. Got to a point they needed to be judged. 722, 8, or 722 BC, the Assyrian nation came in. Big, mighty empire at the time came in and just destroyed the northern tribes of Israel. Carried them all off cap into captivity. They were brought into God's judgment. Just a little while later, 586 B.C., those dates don't really mean much of anything to us, Babylon came in and conquered Judah, the last stronghold of God's people. They took Jerusalem, where the temple was. God himself had built the temple. They came in, destroyed the, the city, the temple, took God's people captive. God's not done with us. He loves us still. We've rejected him at every possible possible turn everything he does for us we've taken and we've spit in his face and yet he still manages to hold a remnant in babylon in this pagan nation their people are brought off into captivity into slavery yet again where did they start in bondage in egypt now they're in bondage in babylon but now that they're in bondage they kind of turn to god again God brings in the Medo-Persian Empire. It's just, it's history. The Medo-Persian Empire comes in and, hey, we're going to have a big empire now. And they conquer the Babylonians. Well, Cyrus, the, the king, says, hey, you Jews, why don't you go back to Jerusalem? Why don't you rebuild your city? It's a long, not, not the easiest process. You guys can read about it in this awesome book. Good read, by the way, I recommend it. Um, they get back into Jerusalem, they build the city, they build the temple. And God is waiting and God is allowing <coughs> history to pass. And as history passes, the Greeks come in and they conquer everything. They do something that nobody else has done. They bring in one common language. Everyone starts speaking the same way. Romans come in and the Romans conquer everything and the Romans are just this big powerhouse they start building roads. And now at this time, about 2,000 years ago, the Romans have conquered everything. We've got one common language. We've got roads. And sorry, Landon. Landon really is excited about this Advent study. And he's really excited to tell you guys about Christmas. 
Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you about Christmas. I'm just saying. Um, before, before we start talking about Christmas, um, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. If you guys will open with me to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, I would like to read verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. You guys know the Christmas story. I don't need to belabor this point. Jesus was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem. There was the star shining overhead. Um, Luke chapter 2. Then the angel said to the, the shepherds in the field, by the way, then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Something radically different has changed. God is doing something that we thought it was radical at Mount Sinai when God came down to the top of the mountain and he gave us the law and we had, yes, we've got the law. We know which way to go. We just don't have the power to go that way. Sin is too much for us. God is doing something more amazing on that Christmas morning. The heavens were ripped open and the angels came down to announce the birth of Jesus. Now, I have four children. I was there for the I was there at the time of the birth of all four children. Never once did God send even one angel to announce the the birth of one of my children. I have it on good authority from my mother that even when I was born, there wasn't one angel that was sent to announce my birth. Can you believe it? (sighs) Well, yeah, we can believe it. Why can we believe it? We're all born to our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. The sin thing. We're all born into sin. We don't get angels to announce our birth. There's something different about Jesus. There is something radically different. The heavens were ripped open and the angels came down and they announced to shepherds, there's someone here you need to meet. Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus is God in the flesh. He proved it. He proved it with the miracles he did. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the deaf. He walked on water. He fed thousands with just table scraps. He raised the dead to life. He called Lazarus out of the grave. Jesus proved his divinity by his miracles. There's more so much more that I wish I had time to get into. Jesus was God in the flesh. In the flesh. 
100% God, 100% man. Jesus was flesh and bone, same as you and me. Jesus could fall and scrape his knee. Jesus could get a cold and, and have to cough. Jesus felt pain. He was saddened when people died. He was, Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in everything that you've ever been tempted to do. The sins that we so easily fall into, unfortunately, that's just the way of it. Jesus was tempted just as strongly as you've ever been tempted in your life, in all ways. He was 100% man, 100% God. He was radically different from anything that, that the world had ever seen before. or Just, just unbelievable. Jesus lived a, a short life. He, you know, grew up. We don't learn much of Jesus' childhood life. We learn a little bit of stories. The wise men came. We learn when he was about 12 years old, they went to the temple for a feast and he stayed at the temple. We don't learn much about Jesus' life until he turned 30 and he entered into what's known as his ministry. He, he started ministering at 30. He went out to John the Baptist and went out into the wilderness and he was tempted. And we learn all about the life of Jesus. And that brings us to Easter. I know we're going so fast through the year. We went Christmas. Now we're at Easter. Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the defining moment in all of history. All of human history is set upon the cross. Because we have proved, if there's one thing we have proved with our history... It's that sin reigns over us and we are not capable of breaking free from the bonds of sin. We can't do it, guys. We are all doomed to hell and destruction in our sin. There's nothing we can do apart from our sin. But we, we talked about Jesus being tempted in all points, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless. He was God in the flesh. And when he went to the cross... That was for all of us. He went to the cross to die for our sin. He took our sin upon himself and he was nailed to the cross. We proved our, our worth as Jesus was going to the cross. The, the, start in the garden. Jesus is praying all night long. He's praying so hard and so intensely that blood started to drip down from his forehead. I, I've never prayed anywhere near that hard in my life, guys. But Jesus spent the night in prayer, praying so much that blood had, had burst forth from his, his forehead. One of his closest friends, one of the 12 disciples, comes into the camp 
It's late at night. There are men with swords and clubs, soldiers that are with him. He comes up to Jesus and betrays Jesus with a kiss. One of his closest friends. This guy, had he'd been with Jesus for three years. He was in the boat when the storm, storms were raging and Jesus said, be still, and the storm stopped. He was in the boat when they thought they were going to go down and Jesus came walking up on the water. He was there when the, he's one of the guys running around with the basket feeding the 5,000. Judas was with Jesus that whole time. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. And he betrayed him with a kiss. That's sin. Rising up in all of us. Jesus gets taken off to the high priest. And the high priest says, blasphemy, you say you're God. And they don't believe it. So what do they do? They take Jesus before Pilate, the Roman authority, the worldly authority. Pilate says, I don't see any sin in this man. This is your king. What do the priests say? We have no king but Caesar. Yet again, they're rejecting God. We have no king. That's basically saying God is not our king, but Caesar, this worldly Roman guy who sits in Rome. And they have rejected Jesus. Jesus is taken out. He's whipped. And, and he's scourged. And the flesh in his back is ripped off. I mean, when he, went, when he went to the cross, his back was ripped bare. You probably could have seen his spine and his ribs. And his back was ripped bare. He did it for us. So they put him on the wood. And then they nailed nails through his, his arms and his feet. And they hung him up. What did we do? What did we, the human race, do? We came along and we spit at him and we mocked him as he was dying on a cross. There was no compassion. There was no love. There was nothing. You know, this is, this is our history. These are our relatives. This is this is who we are. This is the sin that's inside of us. But we read in, in John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God did it knowingly. Jesus knowingly went to the cross. He knew what was ahead and in store for him. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? The one time Jesus is separated from the Godhead was when our sin was upon him and God could not be with him anymore. Pretty heavy stuff. And I don't have a pretty happy message this morning until as Jesus laid there dying with our sin upon him, he pulls himself up because he couldn't even speak unless he pulled himself up. He pulls himself up and with his dying breath, he says, it is finished. <laughs> Woo! What does that mean? It's finished. This power of sin over us that has just twisted and warped our history that has brought us to this vile point of even spitting on our own God. It's broken. 
Jesus took our sin upon him and he said, it is finished. The work that he did took our sins upon him. And let me, let me go, John 3.16. I, I like picking these verses that, that are popular that you guys probably know. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember we're talking about Sundays and how Sundays can impact our eternity? In Jesus, we can have everlasting life. This is why we come to church. This is the God that we celebrate. The God who loves us so much that he wouldn't give up on us when we disobeyed him. He wouldn't give up on us when we were so wicked the world needed to be flooded. He wouldn't give up on us when we rejected him again and we started building our own little tower. Like building a block tower when we're not supposed to be doing that. Like a little kid that's supposed to be cleaning his room and he's just building a block tower. That's what we were. We rejected God and we said, we want a king over us. He gave us the law. We couldn't follow that. He came down and lived as a man. He, was, he showed us the Father. And we took him and we put him on a cross. This is, this is our sin. This is where we've come. Jesus died on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. And there's... More to the story. Um, John also tells us, But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, I just want you to listen to this one more time. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. God wants his family back. Guys, God wants his family back. Adam and Eve, they were a family with God in the garden, and it was broken because of what Adam and Eve did. And God will not give up on mankind. God loves us so much. He died himself on a cross to take the sin which we put in ourselves way back in the garden. We haven't been able to break from it. God took it. There's two simple things that you need to do. There are two simple things that you need to do. As many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. That's it. God has done everything for us. We receive what God has done. It's like a birthday present or a Christmas present. We didn't do anything. God gives us this amazing gift of his son. We receive it. And we believe it. We believe it in our hearts. That's all it takes to change the course of human history, to break the bonds of sin. We opened up to Galatians chapter 4 earlier. Let's go back to Galatians. And I'll wrap it up this morning. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we read verse 4 earlier. I want to continue reading in verse 5. Galatians 4, starting in verse 5, tells us, To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God loves us so much. He has adopted us into his family. We have proved sin reigned in us, but Jesus did it. He died on the cross. He took our sin. It is finished. And God loves us in spite of it. God loves us. He's adopted us. We can call him Abba, Daddy. We can call him Daddy. My kids call me Papa. I love it when my kids call me Papa. Mike is getting older. My son, he's nine. He's getting older and, and he's starting to call me Dad. I like being called Dad, but there's just something special about that little childhood Papa. I like being called Papa. Here we read, we can call God, our Heavenly Father, Abba, which Daddy, Papa. It's just that nice term for God. Um, we're no longer slaves, but we're sons. And if we're sons, then we're heirs of God through Christ. In the very beginning, I read that verse out of Isaiah, and it talked about the heritage of Jacob. And I said, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about this morning. That's what we have. The heritage of Jacob. The heritage of God's people. We are adopted into this family of God. This is why Sundays are important. This is why Sundays can affect your eternity. Because you're only going two places for eternity. You're only going to heaven or you're only going to hell. And Jesus has done everything possible to break the bonds of sin so that we can receive what he's done. We can believe it. We can go to heaven. But that's, that's on you guys. And that's on your families and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers. Don't keep this a secret, guys. Don't, don't be sitting on this. We can come to church and we can have this awesome Sunday morning and go over all these hopefully familiar passages and just be like, wow, God, you're so good. Go out and tell somebody. Go out and tell somebody. So that basically concludes my study this morning. I'll close us in prayer. And if you have children downstairs, don't forget them. <laughs> Dear Jesus, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for loving us when, when the odds were stacked against us. We thank you for loving us in spite of our sin. We thank you for being big enough and powerful enough and loving enough to be able to take all of our sin and, and bury it with you. Um, we thank you for dying on the cross, and we do believe that you died for us, and we anxiously anticipate that those moments when we get to be with you. Um, yeah. So we love you, and we say thank you, Abba, Father, for all that you've done for us. Amen? Amen.